We're going to return to the book of Ephesians this morning. We're in Ephesians chapter 4. And in just a second, I'm going to read verses 1 through 16 to Ephesians chapter 4. But I want to start with a question. If I were to ask you this morning, what are the, what are the three most important things uh, for you in terms of getting in shape physically? What would you say? I know we can only think of two, right? Like exercise and eat better. There's, there's a third, but nobody knows what it is. Uh, if, if I were to ask you then, all right, what are the what are the the three most important things in terms of getting in shape spiritually? Are you thinking about those? Write down if you want to. Three most important things in terms of getting in shape spiritually. You know, you probably write down. Read your Bible. Pray. You're struggling to think of the third one. Um, what are you, what are you what are you not doing? Like on your list of things that you think are important for you spiritually, what are you not doing right now that you think you should be doing? Did did anybody write down? Did anybody think of this? I need to build relationships with other people in this room. I'm I'm, I'm guessing you didn't uh, because we're not prone to think that way. Here's the way we tend to think about, think about our spiritual growth. We think of my spiritual growth as something that involves me and Jesus. And going to church is one of the things that I have to do so that, so that I can become more like Jesus. But what if I were to say to you this morning, God isn't necessarily concerned with you individually becoming like Jesus. He's interested in us corporately becoming like Jesus Christ. In other words, becoming like Christ is not just about you and your vertical relationship with God. It's also about you and your horizontal relationships with other people in this room, other people in the church. In fact, I'd argue that the purpose, that God's purpose for Grace Presbyterian Church is not just that we would establish a well-attended worship service where people come every Sunday and get their spiritual fill-up. We're not planning a worship service. Rather, his purpose is to establish a web of relationships among believers where one of the things we do do is gather corporately and worship him Sunday by Sunday. Uh, And I think that that web of relationships is the one thing we don't usually think about when we think about our spiritual growth, when we think about our sanctification. What this scripture is going to show you is that he sanctifies us. And my sanctification is tied to your sanctification, and your sanctification is tied in with my sanctification. And he's concerned about how we all grow together. All right, so let me see if I can show you that. I'm talking about how we might achieve that. Ephesians 4, (coughs) verses 1 through 16. This is God's Word. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, 
just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We pray for us. Uh, Father, we ask for your blessing now on uh, the preaching of the word, that you would speak through me and even over and above me, but that you speak to your people today and that you might encourage us as to what it means to belong to the body of Christ. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, here's a question then. What's God aiming for us as a church? What he's aiming at and what we want to aim for is not just my sanctification individually, but our sanctification corporately. In other words, not, it's not just about me growing up, but it's about us growing up together. So let me see if I can show you that first of all. Look at verse 3. <clears throat> Paul wants us to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul wants there, the first thing he talks about here is he wants there to be unity in the church. Now, that it, that's very interesting to me that he, that he starts talking about that here because what's he been doing for the first three chapters of Ephesians? He's basically kind of been laying out the gospel and talking about all the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. And we've gone through three chapters and he maybe has told us one thing to do. In other words, it's all been uh, indicative of who we are in Christ. He hasn't gotten around to telling us to do anything yet. Which is really... This is how the gospel should work. We hear the gospel and then we respond to the gospel. We have to understand the gospel first. But he's finished talking about that. And now the rest of the book, he's going to start telling us stuff to do. Everybody, if you want stuff to do, you're about to get it. Uh, but, but, but the first thing he tells us to do is that we need to be unified. That's, that's the first thing on his mind, that we need to be unified as the people of God. I, I think that's interesting. Now look at, look at verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called, to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So, all right, where does that unity, he wants us to have unity, where does that unity flow from? Well, he said we've been brought into one body by the work of one Holy Spirit 
We share the one hope of eternal life. We have one common Savior in Jesus Christ. Uh, we all need Jesus. We have a common faith, a common Savior, a common Father. We have all these things that make us one in this one body. We're united by the gospel in Christ. In this one body. Now, if you go back to the book of Genesis, one of the things that's fragmented because of sin, it's not just that our relationship with God is, is broken because of our sin. Our relationships with other people are damaged as well. And all of history is driving to that day when our relationship with God will be perfectly restored and our relationships with other people will be restored as well. Right? In the meantime... The, the church is a picture of what God is doing. The church is a picture of what God is in process of doing. And restoring our relationship with God and restoring our relationships with other people as well. Now, it's in process, but it's this work that God is doing. Now, think about it like this. Uh, charter schools. Charter schools come into existence sometimes as an alternative way of doing school. Uh, sometimes charter schools exist in areas where the, you know, the local schools are not doing that well. Uh, and so you create this alternative way of, of doing school. And if you're running a charter school, you want to be able to point to your school and say, look, what we're doing really makes a difference. And our students are really doing well, and this is really helping them to grow up to be better citizens. You want it to be attractive, right? You want your charter school to be attractive. Think of the church as God's charter school for human community. It's his alternative way of doing community compared to the, to the way the rest of the world tries to do community. And so people ought to be able to look at the church and say, there's something different about the way they do relationships. There's something different about the way they do relationships. There's something attractive about that community. They're not perfect. Um, you know, they, they sin and, and all of that stuff, but there's something about the way they love each other. There's something about the way they're able to forgive each other. Uh, there's something even about the way they talk to each other, uh, speak about one another, about the way they care for one another. There's something good and healthy about what's going on in that community. And the world needs to see that in the church. And we have to be unified for that to actually work. Uh, skip down to verse 11. Uh, and we'll come back to this more fully in a minute, but it says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to do what? Verse 12. To equip the saints. To equip the saints for what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Why? <clears throat> Verse 12 again. For the building up of the body of Christ. To equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Verse, verse 13 until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And, and there's that unity thing again. Um, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. All right? So that we're unified so that we know Jesus better. Keep reading. To mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the knowledge of Christ. So that we would grow up to be like Jesus. Uh, verse 14 so that we may no longer be children. Uh, go down to verse 15. Rather speaking the truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. 
<coughs> verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is it equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There are two things going on in these verses. Paul's exhorting us to unity and he's exhorting us to maturity, but they're all tangled up together. Like a big ball of yarn or something. It's, it's, just, it's just all wrapped up together. Maturity and unity are wrapped up together. And notice what Paul's saying here. He's saying we all start the Christian life as children. Like when, when we're born again, we don't like we're not fully mature believers. We start the, the Christian life as children. And he's saying you're going to stay children unless you're connected to the church. You're going to stay children unless you're connected to the church. And I know that's not the way we tend to think about it because we tend to Americanize the Bible. Uh, again, we think my spiritual growth is about me and it's not your problem and you have nothing to do with it. And your spiritual growth is about you and it's not about me and, and, and I'm not related to it. And so if I'm not doing it all spiritually, I just need to, to read the Bible and pray and I need to suck it up and, and do things better. What this passage is saying is that we all need each other if we're going to grow up in the faith. And that doesn't mean just getting together once a month for accountability groups so you can lie about how you're doing it. Okay? Um, it, it needs, there, there needs to be significant relationships in the body of Christ. That you need relationships with other people in the church. The other people in the church also need relationships with you. You need to understand their struggles and sympathize with them. They need to understand your struggles and sympathize with you. And this, this is the simplest way I'm going to put it. We think of Christianity as American Sniper. All right? That we're just like on our own. We've got to do this by ourselves. When in reality, Christianity is band of brothers. Those of you who remember that maybe. We think of it as this solo thing. And God said, no, 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 no. This is a, this is a group effort. This is a family effort. This is a team effort. Now... How do we get there? How do we become this unified, maturing body? I want to show you three things from the text. Uh, number one, we have to check our attitude. We have to check our attitude. Now notice how Paul starts this section. <clears throat> I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Um, Andrew Murray called humility the, the distinguishing mark of discipleship. Like there's anything that should mark a Christian, it's humility. Um, does that cluster of traits, does that, does that describe you? Does it describe me? How would your children answer that question? All right. How would your, your co-workers answer that question? Is your life characterized by those things? Or is it characterized by always having hurt feelings? Always being worried about people sliding you? Always being concerned about how you're being treated? Always feeling like life isn't fair? Always demanding things of people around you? Or is it characterized by humility and gentleness? patience and bearing with one another in love. Uh, there's a story told about Booker T. Washington when he had first been named president of 
Tuskegee University that he was walking through one of the more wealthy sections of town and this wealthy lady came out and saw him and asked him if he'd like to make some extra money chopping wood for her. Uh, and he said, sure. And he smiled and he rolled up his sleeves and he chopped the wood and he took it in the house and he put it by the fireplace and he left and he didn't tell her who he was. And there was a, someone in the house who recognized him while he was there and told the lady, you know, that was Booker T. Washington that just chopped wood for you. So she went to his office at Tuskegee University the next day and was apologizing. And he said, Madam, occasionally I enjoy a little manual labor. Besides, it's always a delight to do something for a friend. All right? That's, that's humility. That's not standing on your own rights. I'm, I'm trying to get the, the, the respect that you feel like you deserve, but that's humbly serving somebody else. Um, if, if we're going to have a unified community in which we grow together to spiritual maturity, it has to be marked by these things, by humility, by gentleness, by patience uh, with one another. And doesn't that sound a lot like how Paul describes Jesus in Philippians, in that famous passage in Philippians 2, Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so we have to kind of ask ourselves as believers, does my attitude resemble that? Does my attitude resemble the attitude of Jesus Christ? And then if it doesn't, we have to ask the question, where does it come from? How do I just will myself into that attitude? That's why you have to go back to the Gospels when you have to go back to those first three chapters of Ephesians and not just cut chapter four off from those, not divorce uh, the imperatives of the Gospel from the indicatives of the Gospel. That humility comes from knowing I really was dead in my sins, that there was no reason for God to save me, and yet he was. He was gracious to me. And so humility comes from seeing that I, I didn't get what I deserved. Instead, I receive grace. And the more I get that, the more I'll be able to be humble and gentle and gracious to the people around me. So the first thing we have to do is check our attitudes as we come into the body of Christ. The second thing is we have to serve one another. Uh, Verse 7, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And I'm going to skip verse 9 and 10, and then verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to put the saints. What, what Paul's talking about in this section is he's taking this quote from the Old Testament um, that applied to Yahweh, applied to God the Father, and he applies it to Jesus Christ. And he's picturing Jesus as this conquering king who's received the spoils of victory and now he's dispensing those spoils of victory to his subjects. You have it kind of like this. Uh, At at the end of Sense and Sensibility, 
<clears throat> Colonel Brandon marries the younger sister, and he's standing up in the, in the wedding carriage, and he's got this bag of money, and he's, he's throwing cash to everybody, right, to celebrate, right? That's what Jesus is doing. He's, he's, he's giving these gifts out. He's throwing gifts out to his people, uh, these spiritual gifts that are given to the body of Christ. Uh, and Paul concentrates here on, on a few of these gifts. He said he's given the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so he's given certain gifts in order that the saints might be equipped then to do ministry. So my job is to serve you by equipping you to do the work of ministry. David's job at RUF is to serve you by equipping you to do the work of ministry. Another way to say that is my job is to serve you so that you might serve one another. That I use the gifts God has given me so that you use God has given you so that you might serve <coughs> each other. Excuse me. I think I'm going to make it. Um, There are other passages in the New Testament that go into more detail about the specific spiritual gifts that we have. But here's a point I want to make to you. We're all called to the work of ministry. We're all called to serve one another. But we don't all do that in the same way. We have been given different gifts. We have been given different abilities. But we're to use those gifts and abilities, Paul says, for the building up of the body of Christ. <clears throat> that God hasn't given you the gifts that he's given you to make much of yourself, to make your life more comfortable, but he's given you the gifts he's given you so that you can honor him and so that you can serve the other parts of the body of Christ. What that means, again, is that you need the other members of the church and the other members of the church also need you. To use Paul's illustration from 1 Corinthians, you know, if you say... You're a foot and say, Well, I don't really need the legs. You know, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. All right? You, you need the other parts of the body. The other parts of the body need you as well. Uh, and, and there's no part that's not needed. All right? There's no appendix in, in the body of Christ. Uh, nobody gets to claim that. All right? We all are given gifts so that we can serve the body. Now, Paul Tripp, in his book, Instruments of Change, puts it this way. Ephesians 4 propels us beyond a life consumed by personal happiness and achievement. Your life is much bigger than a good job, an understanding spouse, and non-delinquent kids. It's bigger than beautiful gardens, nice vacation, and fashionable clothes. In reality, you are part of something immense. Something that began before you were born and will continue after you die. God is rescuing fallen humanity, transporting them into his kingdom, and progressively shaping them into his likeness. And he wants you to be a part of it. Are you, are you being a part of it? Are you, are you using the gifts God has given you to serve the body? Are you letting other people use their gifts to serve you? Are you, are you in the game? Are you on the, on the sidelines? Unity material. How does it work? When we check our attitudes serve one another. And the last thing here, it happens when we speak the truth in love to one another. Uh, verse 15. 
<clears throat> Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. We have to speak the truth in love. Now, some of us, we probably split fairly equally. Some of us are really good at speaking the truth, uh, truthfully, and some of us are, are more about the, the loving half of that. You know, some of us are, are, would say, you know, I just call them as I see them. If it hurts you feel it, so be it. I'm just being honest with you here. I'm just being real. And some of us are, are so loving, like we don't, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We don't want you to be mad at us. So we're like, we just give you a hug. We don't tell you anything, right? And, and what Paul's like saying is like these two things actually have to come together in our lives, speaking the truth in love. And we have to do that, and we have to speak the truth in love, and we have to listen. We have to listen to what people are saying to us, because it's really hard for us to see our own sin. It's really hard for us to see our own sin. Uh, in the, the first episode of Justified, uh, Raylan Gibbons of Marshall is explaining to his wife why he's had to kill this gun thug in Miami. And this is what he says to her. He says, he pulled first, so I was justified. But what troubles me is what if he hadn't? Would I have killed him anyway? I know I wanted to. I guess I never thought of myself as an angry man. And then his wife, Winona, looks at him and says, Raylan, you do a good job of hiding it, but honestly, you are the angriest man I've ever known. Honestly, you're the angriest man I've ever known. She saw what he couldn't see about himself, and she was so she was able to speak truthfully into his life. If, if we're going to grow up into the image of Christ, we need other people speaking to us and saying, look, here's how you're not really living life, Jesus. Here's something that maybe you don't see in your own life, and we have to be willing to do that to speak the truth and love to other people. Uh, we need people who are believers to do this. We need people who are who are believers who aren't like us. People from other races, people from, from different cultures, help us to see things in our own lives that we're blind to. Um, there's been a, a minor internet outrage. As I, I think there is every day. Uh, over the president's remarks at the National Prayer Breakfast last week, in which he talked about some of the past atrocities that have been committed in the name of Jesus. And people were going back and forth on the internet about whether he should have said that or shouldn't have said that, and how he talked about the Crusades, and people saying, well, the Crusades weren't really as, as, as bad as it sounds, and all that kind of stuff. But people have committed atrocities in the name of Jesus Christ. And all you have to do, I don't, I don't care about the crusades really, all you have to do is look at the racism and the slavery that existed in our country, it's not hard to find, for most of the existence of our country. Uh, somebody I follow on Facebook this week was talking about this, and they put a picture on Facebook, and it was the front of a church, and there are about 30 members of the KKK in their costume, standing in the front of the church with a sign behind them that says, Jesus saves. I think about that for a minute. And that's we're not very far away from that. And think about it if, if we if that was happening right here. Alright, and I like I see that and my head wants to explode. I'm like, how could people not see the problem with that? How could they be blind to that? And that's a lesson for how we can be blind to our sin, right? But then it also makes me really nervous because I'm wondering, 
all right, 50 years from now, what are people going to be saying about me that I was blind to that I didn't see? Because we can't see our blind spots. And that's why we so desperately need the gospel for one, but it's why we also desperately need other people to speak into our lives. People who aren't like us and say, hey, you might be missing this. You might not see the way in which your life is not honoring to Jesus. We need that if we're really going to grow in spiritual maturity. Now, where does that come from? It comes from the cross. Because the, the cross is the ultimate instance of, of speaking love and truth. Right? Because the, the, the gospel is, is God speaking truthfully. You're much worse than you ever thought you were. Like your sin really is bad. It really does separate you from me. There really are consequences for your sin. You're so bad somebody had to die for you. And yet the cross also speaks God's love to us that Jesus Christ willingly died for us. That he willingly died for us in spite of our sin. The cross speaks truth. It says you've got a debt that's you're over your eyeballs in debt. But it also speaks love. I, I willingly pay that debt off for you. The, the, this cross speaks words of truth and love. And the more we hear that, the more we get that, the more we'll be able to speak words of truth and love to others. And the more we'll be able to receive those words when they're spoken to us. So what do we say? Uh, The path to spiritual maturity, to to growth as a church, is not just you and Jesus and your Bible. It's you and Jesus and your Bible in the context of the fellowship of the church. Not just in the worship service, but in the context of relationships that you're developing with other believers. Uh, Coming together humbly and patiently, serving one another, Speaking the truth into each other's lives. Now, I'm going to give you one assignment. I'm going to give you one thing to do. I want you to go up and talk about this. Maybe your family, maybe some friends you're going to eat lunch with. Go talk about this. And, and, and here's a question to discuss. Where is this happening in your life? Where is this happening in your life? Where are you making the time to form meaningful connections with other members of the church? Where does that happen? Uh, it, it could be in a community group. It could be in a small group Bible study. Neither of those may work for you. But you got to figure out somewhere for that to happen. Where are you making meaningful connections with other parts of the body, other members of the body of Christ? If you need us and we need you, we all need each other. We're going to grow in grace. Can you pray for us? Uh, Father, uh, pray that you help us to see this, uh, that our spiritual growth is not simply an individual thing, but it's a communal thing. Uh, and, and we need each other if we're going to grow into the very image of Christ. So I pray that you would give us those connections, uh, that you would give us humility and grace, that you would uh, give us the willingness to serve one another you help us to speak the truth, but to speak the truth in love. And Father, please help us to hear it. Uh, change us uh, for Jesus' sake. We ask in his name. Amen.